Hello and welcome to On Staging, a community theater-focused discussion podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theater productions in Calgary. Today, I'm joined by director Julita Severson-Baker and musical director Melanie Box to discuss their upcoming production of The Spitfire Grill, presented by Swamp Donkey Musical Theater Society, running from October 27th through to November 5th. You may be familiar with Melanie's work, having been the Cat Award-nominated director of the musical Anne of Green Gables in 2022. Melanie is the artistic director for Swamp Donkey and directed their first musical, The Sound of Music, back in 2019, though Melanie has also directed Grease, Eve, The True Story, The Lion King Jr., and The Little Mermaid Jr. Melanie is a professional chorister, choir director, vocal coach, and private voice teacher. The link to her vocal studio is in the show notes. Julita Severson Baker is better known online as a poet and teacher, with her first book of poetry, Incarnate, shortlisted in 2013 for both the Gerald Lampert Memorial Award and the W.O. Mitchell Book Prize, which I am familiar with that one. Her latest book, Antecedent, is her second collection of poetry and now available for pre-order. And there's a link for that in the show notes, too. So Melanie and Julita, thank you so much for coming today, and welcome to the show. Let's talk about the Spitfire Grill. Yes, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome. How familiar are you with all of the history leading up from the Spitfire Grill's introduction through to today? Musical or movie? Both. I would say fairly familiar. I think Melanie's more familiar than I am, actually. Okay. Well, the Spitfire Grill, the movie, premiered at Sundance in January of... 96. 1996, the year I graduated from high school, and received the Audience Award at that festival. It received a wide release, but did very lackluster with both critics and ticket sales. But what it did, in the same way that Kinky Boots did, the movie did, was inspire James Valk and Fred Alley in the creation of a production they were both looking to do that had elements of myth and folktale for populist theater. They began writing in 1999, and a demonstration tape was sent to David Saint, the artistic director of the George Street Playhouse in New Jersey. David Saint agreed to workshop the show in June of 2000, so like barely a year later after they started working on it. And the two playwrights were mentored by Arthur Laurent, um, the Tony Award-winning director of La Cage au Fall, which is another connection to Kinky Boots. (laughs) (laughs) Through Harvey Firestein. Arthur encouraged the two to pursue their own emotional truth in the material. And as a result, the ending of the musical is entirely different from that of the movie. That says a lot, though, because I've only seen the movie and I have never seen the musical. So I'm interested in discussing that and seeing what Mm -hmm. that looks like and entails as we delve into this discussion. The Spitfire Grill then won the Richard Rogers Award for Musical Theater and has been presented over 700 times the world over and in five languages. But it is unfortunate that at only 38 years old, Fred Alley, one of the two playwrights who wrote it, died of a heart attack the week before the first workshop was presented. Rosebud Theater last presented the Spitfire Grill in 2017. However, from what I can tell, this is the first time it has been presented by a Calgary and surrounding areas community theater company. So, Spitfire Grill, Swamp Donkey, The two of you. Where? When? How did all of this come together? So when we're looking for shows for the fall, we generally tend to do a show that is a little bit less like our big, warm, fuzzy, family-oriented spring production. 
Previously, we've done nonsense, vanities, so younger people can come see it, and lots do, and some of that stuff kind of goes over their heads. We have a huge youth community with our theater, but we like to do something that's kind of like for our hearts. That's kind of how we phrase it. So we find a show that we can connect to that is generally just an adult cast, and that is a small cast. Part of that reason is because initially we had fairly small community that was primarily female to pull our cast from. Welcome to Calgary yes, acting. Yeah. Right. And so that's where Vanities and Nonsense came from as our first two shows. Spitfire Girl, I kind of had my eye on a little bit. And then our founder, Trisha Giesen, she kind of took notice of it when we were looking for shows for this season as well. And when did that happen? When was that? We choose our shows. We announced our season actually at the final show of Beauty and the Beast, which was right. our spring production in May. But that would have that discussion regarding Spitfire Grill would have had to happen much sooner than that. I think it happened maybe on a Tuesday before that when Trisha came for a lesson and we end up sitting at my table for six hours and planning a season by accident. <laughs> That's generally how things happen. So uh, so were you aware of the Spitfire Grill beforehand? Yes. Have you seen the movie, seen the musical? What's I, had your... seen the, I had seen the movie and listened to the music. And I think the music is... I mean, it's very different from any other musical that really I've heard, I've taught, I've been aware of. It's very folky, and it just has this kind of heart to the music that's really unique and and very singable as well. But again, I was questioning, you know, there's two male roles that require strong actors, strong singers. But we happened to have this wonderful community of gentlemen that joined us for Beauty and the Beast, who are really interested in continuing and doing more shows. And who are these two gentlemen? So these two gentlemen are Trevor Milford, who is from Canmore, actually lives in Canmore, and David Murkowski. So it's kind of a fun, funny story. David's wife, Alyssa, was in Beauty and the Beast. And we had lost a couple of uh, ensemble members just because, you know, commitments when people audition to when the show happens. And she said, you know, my husband, he's kind of done some theater. So maybe he'd be in the ensemble. But I don't know. Wednesday rehearsals are the same night as his D&D night. So <laughs> we'll have to talk to him about that. And we said, well, it's okay. Even if he can't come to all of the Wednesdays, we have, you know, other rehearsals in the week as well. And he came and was amazing. And then when we actually got to hear him sing, I was like, where he just has, I mean, mm. Julie, he's, can you he's wonderful. He has yep. the most beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah. So he kind of came out of the woodworks. And so Alyssa and Dave are both in this show. I think it's kind of funny because Alyssa and I are really good friends, but in the show, Dave's a little bit in love with me. So, <laughs> well, that's fun. <laughs> kind of fun. So, that's anyway, we, we just decided to do this show. And so, you and Trisha sat down for six hours. Yeah. Planned a season on a Tuesday. Yep. Batted it out. Yeah. And then wrote up the script for the announcement of the show on opening night of closing, close, closing, closing night. night. Yep. Closing night of Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Last or this past May. May. So it hasn't been that long since this one has been in the works. No. Do you present your slate of shows to the board for their approval? Or is it the two of you just made the decision and went forward right from there? We present everything to the board. Yeah. Yeah. They're usually okay with everything. I haven't suggested anything completely off the wall yet. So you and Trish have sat down. You've made a decision. You've announced the the production schedule for the next season. Yes. When do you start looking at a production team for something like the Spitfire Grill? Well, I kind of have been music director of every show that we've done. Right. Again, 
we're still fairly new. So sometimes the way that things work out, we end up directing or choreographing a show. That's just how, how it goes. But my sons all went to the Calgary Arts Academy. Correct. Where Julita is there. And I've also had the privilege of adjudicating Julita's son, who is also a very fine young singer. And my mom worked with Julita at Mount Royal College when it was Mount Royal College. So we've been kind of in the same circle. But when I went to my son's graduation, Julita gave the speech at the graduation ceremony. And all of a sudden, this light bulb went off in my head. And I remembered all the amazing things she's done and thought, I know who we should ask to direct this show. We need someone who can ground it and who has, you know, I trust that has a good vision. And so I sent an email. And then I got the email the next day (laughs) when I was still quite happy and high for the joy of our first grade 12 graduating class uh, from their graduation the day before. And I, I got this email that was quite out of the blue for me to be invited to direct a play. It had been a long time since I'd been very active in community theater. Was that here in Calgary that you were doing community no, theater or was it Edmonton. elsewhere in Edmonton? Yeah. Okay. I did my undergrad um, theater degree in Edmonton with a focus on directing and then worked for concrete theater in Edmonton and directed some fringe plays and then mostly moved into teaching. So I taught drama for the U of A and then um, speech arts and drama. And when I, when we moved back to Calgary, I worked at Mount Royal university's conservatory for 20 years. Wow. And so mostly, and, and was did very content. no theater so, stuff there, just well, being part of the conservatory. Mostly teaching. Yeah. 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 I mean, I did a few little shows and things, but mostly teaching. That's really, my heart has been in teaching and I've been pretty satisfied creatively teaching mm-hmm. and then moved into poetry, as you said, in your lovely yep. introduction. But so I got this email and, you know, every little creative light bulb went off, like directing a play, wait, a musical. Well, I've never directed a musical, although I'm quite passionate about music and musicals mm-hmm. but I knew immediately I split in two and went no I can't do that but also ooh, could I <laughs> you know and so basically I asked Melanie for a little time to think about it and then met Melanie and Trisha for coffee and when was the when coffee was meeting was that late June yes oh okay so not too much longer after the yeah, e- email no. first went out it was actually it must have been beginning of June because we did our auditions on June 10th. Oh, yeah, right. It was the day before. It was before. the day before. <laughs> it was the it was day the before day. Wow. auditions. Like, auditions so you were... want to come tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> well, or we met for coffee in about two minutes and I just felt the resonance and the, the, the goodness and the sense of joy that, oh, I could be a part of this creative community. And I said, I'm working full time and I'm an assistant principal. I don't know if directing in, in September and October will be easy for me. Right. And, and they assured me, you know, we have a strong team and we'll all do it together. And I said, okay, let's do it. And when are auditions? And they said, tomorrow. <laughs> so so, so you suddenly auditions? I went out to auditions. Oh, yes. wow. I mean, you have to, right? And it was magical and fun. And it's been amazing ever since. Best decision ever. How many days of auditions were there? Two. Two. Just right? two? And two. how many people came out to auditions? Oh. It seemed like it was a good number. It was a good number. 25, 30, yeah, more sure. than that? Yeah, about, maybe a little like more 30. than that. That's yeah. a good number. Yeah, around there, it's a good number. I mean, and it's then, always nice to have more. Like, yes. who doesn't well, want more? True. But at the same time, But then you have having to make decisions, less, and that's hard. I would rather make hard decisions than no de- having no decision. Agreed. And it was joyous to have so many amazing, talented men. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, 
Well, and I was very quickly trying to get up to speed on the show. I didn't have a script yet. <laughs> right. But um, knew the characters a bit, watched the movie. And that was one of our first, for me, a really strong confirmation that that this was going to be wonderful because Trisha and Melanie and I had the exact same instincts about who to cast. And and we were right because it's going really well. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. You've done auditions. Did you have to do callbacks or was it set once that happened? I had asked a few of the gentlemen just because in particular, you know, sometimes in a musical, there's a song that you're like, this song has to be the right amazing. Yeah. And for the this show for me, it was Forest Through the Trees. Oh. So this beautiful, beautiful song sung by Joe's character. And so I had asked Dave actually, hey, would you just prepare a little bit of this? And we almost forgot. He did this amazing audition and you worked with him mm-hmm. on his monologue. And she kind of sat me up there with him to see how we looked together as Percy and Joe. And I thought, oh, I know what you're doing. She said, oh, can you just go sit up there? And then he said, oh, and I do have that bit of the song that you asked me to prepare we almost forgot and he sang it and we were like that's the voice <laughs> that's the one so yeah oh that's wonderful so that was kind of the callback situation yeah so while you're getting julita set up and ready to go as director <laughs> you're hastily working to find all of the other people for the production team when did those people get set up were they in advance of julita you knew you were going to be the musical director to begin with was that something you were looking for no i knew i was going to be the musical director for this show then actually the because there's not um tracks available and we weren't going to use a live band we had to kind of figure that music out so again another connection from julita and the calgary arts academy and a teacher that i knew through my kids he's making these amazing tracks our set designer has also come from that community oh wow mitch tukamaki he did the set for adam's family for frc as well great great it was amazing Yeah. yeah so that's what we were doing today before we came here was building the set. Building a set. And it looks really cool. To be totally frank, we've done a lot of things ourselves over the last right. few productions because that's what we've had, right? You're not and alone there. No. I've been talking with a lot of the community theater companies in Calgary and the surrounding area, and all of them are having trouble finding people on the production team. Yes. Uh, it's easy enough to find actors post-pandemic. It's been very hard to find stage managers, choreographers, yes. uh, sound designers, and tech people. It's been mm. a lot of them have moved on to other mm-hmm. things or moved on to a point where they're like, no, I want to get paid to do that. And right. Like, well, that's not going to happen for us. Our community theater. Yeah. So, and Trisha usually takes care of props. She right. has an amazing job of making props and sourcing props like incredible mm. just one day she showed up and it's like here's all the props for the entire show <laughs> wow. We're like, okay thank you <laughs> and our stage manager is Mackenzie Walsh mm-hmm. she has also been with us I think she's stage managed every show that we've done Trisha oh, Mackenzie wow. and I have done every show that Swamp Donkey has done even the youth productions so she is there in the trenches she's running music right now just because I'm on stage so much for this particular show so she's taken that on i mean she's the volunteer of the century so we kind of do all of those things and i think just julie has been such a perfect fit we don't want her to ever leave (laughs) (laughs) we all talk about being full-time swamp donkey people right in quotes so (laughs) today i'm like look at we're all being swamp donkey people this is what i got my music degree to paint this little baseboard you know (laughs) yeah so But it's, I mean, it's pretty awesome. But for me, it's been like joining uh, 
a really high functioning, caring, collaborative community that was already doing so well. And then being able to just add to that and feeling completely supported so so that I could also keep working full time, obviously. <laughs> but trust like Mackenzie running sound cues means when I'm there, I can just watch the stage and watch the actors and not have to split my brain in six directions and figure out wait, what when's the sound cue? When does that start? It just happens behind me. And then I'm like, whoa, perfect. Is there any choreography in mm. Spitfire Grill? Is it kind of like come not from away really. choreography? Yeah, it's not choreography like it was, say, for Beauty and the Beast or for like right. our Oklahoma is what we're doing in the spring. It's not going to be like that. There are some things that we've worked like choreographed in a way that sort of make sure that everything is happening at the right time. But it's not like dance choreography. No, no. It's just movement it was, in the space to yes. maintain interest. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And when I was first listening to the soundtrack, on top of Trisha and Mel having a welcoming and fun, caring, high caliber. Like I knew the quality would be excellent too when I sat down with them for coffee. But along with that, listening to the soundtrack, I just fell madly in love with the music. It is beautiful, beautiful music. But thinking as a director, just listening to the soundtrack before we were rehearsing, I was thinking about what needs choreo, what doesn't. And I started envisioning some kinds of choreo. But when it's coming to life on the stage, the show needs to be quite grounded and quite naturalistic. It needs to feel like ordinary people. And so really, there isn't a ton of choreo. There's more blocking during songs. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, I can't wait to see that with the intention to keep everyone's interest throughout. What are you excited for audiences to see in this production? I am really excited for audiences to see how the show and then our cast balances the humor and uh, lighthearted scenes with the the dark human kind of trauma storyline. <laughs> There's characters who've experienced trauma in this story. Mm-hmm. And the story is about trust and hope and redemption. And so these are big, heavy themes, right? And really some human relationships that have been very strained um, in characters' backstories. But the play's not dark. It's not heavy. It's got a really beautiful soul to it. But it's also set in a diner, right? Mm-hmm. The Spitfire Grill is a small town diner. So there's all kinds of fun. I'm really excited for the audience to watch Mel, who plays the lead character, Percy, learn to cook on stage in a <laughs> while she's singing <laughs> at the kitchen we just built today. <laughs> and then get trusting that that world is real. And then go along on the emotional journey. I think that's what I'm really excited about. That's wonderful. That makes sense. That, that makes absolute sense. The film dealt with powerful themes of redemption, hatred, compassion, independence, and the economic problems of small towns. Also touched a lot on the plight of Vietnam War veterans. And very peripherally seemed to be about female empowerment. Is that true still of the musical or are these themes different than the film? I would say primarily that's true of the musical. The redemption focuses on these little pieces of the character's past that is somehow bonding them in a way, but it's based on trauma. So, you know, there's a couple of characters who relate to each other, not by speaking to each other necessarily, but it's like they can recognize the brokenness in each other and they build a connection that way and start to kind of rebuild relationships in the community, forming trust. There is 
you know, some sensitive issues for sure about being damaged by war and also, you know, domestic dynamics. Is that an appropriate way to describe it? And also a women's place in a small community with male figures who think that things should be a certain way and them Mm -hmm. having to prove themselves and build trust and fight kind of to be different. One of the things that's so beautiful about the show is that there's no purely evil bad guy, right? There's characters who are causing pain. There's characters who are feeling pain. But everyone through the play, we see the why of their pain and we see them move. They move along. I think the female empowerment stands out maybe a little more in the musical than in the movie. The three main female characters are on stage a lot, have a few songs together where, you, where it becomes really clear. It's This is women helping women. Mm-hmm. And then the, the themes that the men are struggling with, I think are really tender. Like my heart is with those men in the story too. There's men struggling to find their place in the community as breadwinners or as where is their power? And where can they find power when the economics of their town are changing? Where can they find power when if their relationships are not giving them what they thought they would give them. Identity, if their identity is mm-hmm. questioned because of situations beyond their control, mm-hmm. how do they feel strong and worth, have have value again, Yeah, I think. But it's such a good show because you also see that the men are caring. The, who, mm. We see who the men are caring for. The men are caring for Hannah, the owner of the grill. The men stick around and care about the town finding some success. And so, the, yeah. What questions do you hope that the audience members will take away asking themselves after seeing the show? For me, I always find if you can, and and this is something I tell my students and when I'm on stage, is if you can make people feel changed somehow, whether that's happy, sad, more inspired, I would think the question leaving, I would love for the audience to think, you know, who can I reach out to? Who can I rebuild with? What is important in my life? Who am I without stuff. You know, who am I in my core? What are my relationships at the core built on? Because I think the relationships in this story go from being built on situations and things to being built on trust and love and security. And those things take more time to build than the others. They are deeper foundations. Mm Got to dig further. I think if the audience leaves wondering about their own judgments and if there have been times when they've judged other people's actions judged some people as being not worthy of redemption, or they've that maybe they rethink that, that would be incredible. Or if an audience member leaves thinking about times when they've been inclined, felt inclined to run away from their problems, what does that really mean? And can you run away by running to connection? Maybe you'd have shorten your your pain, your own pain story a bit. That maybe maybe people will actually leave with some of that big mm-hmm. self-reflection. And then maybe also if they just leave thinking about like how the actors pull that off. Melanie is on stage a lot, singing a lot, um, a lot of character journey happening. And if they, while they're watching the show, get totally swept up in it, but then after, have a time, hopefully after, not during, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, come away and think, wow, how did she do that? And then, you know, go sign themselves up for a singing lesson or... Come audition. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> that would wouldn't that be great? It it would. It's just I'm very full. Oh, maybe not Melanie's <laughs> studio. <laughs> yeah. A singing lesson. Yes, definitely. I would love to inspire everyone to sing. Yes. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't have to be a singing lesson with Melanie. That's right. A singing lesson in general. <laughs> That's right. Or that to would come be and join. Or to just sing. Come and 
join our theater. Yeah. Like, I really think that in the show, too, because we all have a strong relationship and sense of community outside mm-hmm. just the rehearsal room, everyone is really good, just good in their core. We have a saying at Swamp Donkey that I always say to every cast that comes in when I put on my artistic director hat, and we don't do mean. We just don't do mean. So everyone that comes in has just this sense of goodness. And I really think that shows on stage. Like there's a couple of times where, you know, I have to give a rather dirty look to one of the characters or they're not very nice to me. And we'll come off stage and be like, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, that's just character because those feelings are, you know, it's deep. You look Mm -hmm. at your friend and you're like, I don't like you in this moment because you are not who I know you to be you're this character. So there's these little moments of like, all right, I do love you. (laughs) It's the mask we wear when we're on stage. Mm -hmm. I always tell my kids and their friends, did you just say that with kindness in your heart? Uh, Did you approach that from a kind perspective? Or were you not being kind? As opposed to saying, don't be mean. I'm like, could you have been kind? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, fine. I'm like, could you have been kind? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Could you have been kind? Yep, that's right. Good humans. That's what we want. Good humans. So I talked about how the end of the movie is different from the end of the musical. And poetry reviewer Harold Renish went on at length in regards to an ending of one of your poems in Incarnate when you say, when it is over, he kisses her forehead once, twice, slow, so she will know. His gentleness is a choice. Mm. And he went on at length about the quality (laughs) and skill and likened it to a ballerina's performance that it was on point to end with choice. How have you been inspired by the ending of the Spitfire Grill? And how did you go about bringing your poetic command of endings into your direction of the show? Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Interesting question. Wow, thanks for reading that poem. That's been a long time since I've thought of that. Yes, a decade since it was published. So doubtlessly longer since (laughs) it was written. That's right. The Spitfire Grill ending is a kind of beginning, right? It doesn't... I don't want to give away how... You're more than welcome to give away the movie's ending if you want to. Well, the movie's ending is... Is an ending. It's quite... (laughs) I drown. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. There's sort of... Spoilers on a 24-year-old movie. movie. Yes. Yeah. I get blamed for stealing a whole bunch of money. Well, my character, Percy. Yep. And then I drown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's tragedy. You know, it ends in the in despair. The musical doesn't end in despair. We won't leave our audiences there. But it opens to a new beginning. And I guess as a poet, often we talk about the silence that happens after a poem. The silence after a reader finishes reading needs to reverberate with some kind of like the poem keeps going into the silence and i know shows end in applause there isn't silence but but the story there's silence sometimes yeah. if you do it right that, that there's def- silence before the big and sometimes it can be long enough to make the actors think they yeah. fucked up <laughs> sure yeah yeah and yeah that's if magical. you do it right it lasts yeah forever it's sure yeah you're right yeah yeah that's the kind of carrying you resonance that you want to have when you're making art. Absolutely. And I don't know if I've been inspired by my writing as I'm directing. I think it's all one creative process, right? That's what what I love about 
art period. Theater and directing is so exciting because it's collaborative in the moment. One of the reasons I went away from theater and into poetry is because I was a new young mom and I could write by myself in snatches of time and all I needed was a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas theater, you needed space and people and um, time. And that was hard, getting harder and harder for me to find. So sometimes when I'm driving to rehearsal from Calgary out to Bright Creek to the beautiful theater, I start getting away in my, you know, running away in my head thinking like, what will we accomplish tonight? What, what do I want to say? What should I shape? And every single time, it's not really worth it. It's the thing happens live while we're there all together, right? It's being, being together. So yeah, the ending of the show will leave audiences, I think, on an uplift and, and an opening feeling into the characters' lives really. Has it been your principal focus all along? Is the end? Is Mm. getting it right? Nailing exactly what you want Mm. visually, thematically? Not really. I think my focus all along is getting out of the way enough and then dropping some things in there and encouraging and facilitating to try and get the show to the place where the really tense moments just will like zing with tension and the real tearjerker moments will work their magic and where the actors can find their grounding in in the roles and understand the the multi-dimensionality of their characters and we can just see that live on the stage so i I think that's my focus and then it the the structure like the play is brilliantly written the musical Mm -hmm. is strong it's really like i'm surprised it's not performed all over the place every it is performed all over the place sure you everywhere five languages (laughs) 700 and that's not like individual performances that's 700 different places have put this show up okay just not in alberta not in alberta for a while yeah okay and it has a, a strong resonance with smaller communities like yes. Bragg Creek. Well, Bragg Creek is perfect. Yeah. Just as a side note about why it wasn't successful when it was just off Broadway, maybe you know this already. It opened on, I believe, the 7th of September 2001. Yes. Oh, so oh, it really know. didn't have a chance. Um, I had a really cool opportunity in doing a workshop this year to connect with someone who is doing another Broadway show at the same time. And she said she walked by the theater every day, but never got to see it. And one of her friends and colleagues is actually Effie in the original cast recording. And they loved the show. We're hoping it would be extended. But because of 9-11, it just didn't ever make it. So it was being performed in 2002. It was being performed all over the place already. People had picked it up. So I think that speaks volumes about the show. It just didn't get its... It didn't shot, get its right? day in court. No, it didn't. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I think there'll be some people that come and see this show and now plan it into their future seasons because... It, it really is yeah. Let's an hope. incredible show. What I'm really glad for is that nobody planned it into this season like <laughs> last year and the year before where everybody's doing the same shows. I'm working on that to get more conversation and communication mm-hmm. at the Calgary Act's general meetings where we can talk about like, mm-hmm. hey... What are you thinking about for forthcoming seasons? Right. What are you thinking about? And so many times uh, artistic directors and producers in the theater companies in Calgary are like, we want to talk about that. But I'm like, maybe as a team of artistic directors, it would be a good idea to do so. Right. So So that we don't all put on Anne of Green Gables, the play and Anne of Green Gables, the musical. And then last year did Cinderella, Rodgers and Hammerstein's both, (laughs) which is um, Mm. not what we want. 
we want we want more a bit more camaraderie and, mm-hmm. and connected togetherness. Mm. So speaking to that, it sounds like connected togetherness is super important and relevant to you as a director and that you're working to bring these people together and then drop in your ideas. But I wanted to circle around back because it's very rare that I get a chance to talk to a poet. Sometimes you get to talk to people who are writers of plays and musicals themselves. And their attachment to each individual word is so it's relevant, it's important, they made specific choices. But when you write something that is 120,000 words, each of those words is far less important than something that was 30 words, (laughs) where each of those is chosen with careful and deliberative care. So how do you approach the language uh, in the Spitfire Grill? Do you allow your actors to kind of fall off and find their own way to the message? Or are you pretty stringent on the you know, this is the mm. this is the right and this is the word that was chosen. Get mm. to it. Well, they're pretty professional group. So most people came really well prepared and got off book at the right time and all that kind of stuff. So that's one thing. We have had to stop a few times and try and make phrases that have sounded awkward to me on the page sound awkward and then feel awkward coming out of a character's, you know, an actor's mouth mm-hmm. in the first few, you know, what we're, we're just blocking the scene. We've had to stop sometimes and work like, okay, how do we make this work? But even that has been a sort of a collaborative process. Like I, I, I just even, was that just yesterday? We were on standing on stage, like reworking a few words, like or Even like intonation. come by a little later. It was like, come by a little later. Nope. Come yeah. by a little later. No, come by a little later. Oh, that's it. Well, what exactly bird. does this mean? Yeah. Wild yeah. bird don't, don't got no nest. There's a few, right? yeah, a few things about the diet. The dialect and the middle Americana of of it. Yeah. And I I did, I mean, that's sort of a vision that I put out there at the top that I, we're not doing accents. We're not doing, we're doing our own voices to try and it keeps the play more, in my opinion, more accessible to an audience. It's, it's our own voices. It's our Calgary, Bright Creek, (laughs) Cochrane voices. The way that the text is written, like Percy's character, I think her status, her social background, her education comes through very clearly in the way that her text, her speech is written without needing an accent. It sounds how it needs to sound. Yeah, it's working. To that end, not to interrupt, but did you then also put it into the modern day or is it still set 20 years ago? What did you do there? We've pulled it forward a bit, but not all the way contemporary. We've pulled it forward a bit. Part of that, I'll leave a little bit of a surprise, but yeah. But we did. We what did, do you mean by we surprise? Well, we'll leave that a little bit to audiences to hear because there's some. Yeah, I don't want to give it all away. What but yes, I, I did move <laughs> it. I did move it forward in time about 20 right. years. Okay, yeah, perfect. I'd say so. It's yeah, set, that's all we had to we've, say. We've got it set sort of 2000. Cool. Yeah, maybe I bring my poetry ear to to hearing how characters speak, and and I, I do have a fine sort of tuned. I'm sensitive about details. I guess right. I'm sensitive about details, but. You know, I was an actor and I think it needs to feel always like it's happening right now, right? It, ha- right. it has to feel in the moment, live, yeah. lively. Spontaneous. So there has to be room. We can't, we're not, it's not a choreographed piece where, you know, where everything hinges on it being exactly the same because right. same gonna, intonation, same rhythm. No. Just don't get locked in exactly how you say something. Right. You know, say it as you would say it in the moment because yeah, you don't know it. exactly what you're going to get 
from, from your, your castmate in that moment as things grow and develop, right? At some point, it might feel more locked in. Right. Um, and there's some scenes that really hinge on that sort of tension being built by just keeping a pace or something like that. But it definitely, I think it's continuing to change and grow. Yeah. What's great about it is that it's community theater too. And so everybody else is doing these performances and doing these roles and whatnot. They all have full-time day jobs. They're all busy doing other things. <laughs> so you have a terrible day. Your boss or your so your assistant did not do the thing that you expected them to do and it landed on your desk as a result can inform certain emotive resonances that happen in a performance at the end of the day. It's not like your life is just this character in this role. You're doing other things and then it ends up leaking in. So yeah, be alive in the moment is really relevant and important yeah. way to, to think about it. As you, uh, you're like, wow, you hated me more today than you ever have before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. One yeah. of our castmates that was away for work, he actually said that to me yesterday. Wow, you really perfected your look of hatred while I was away. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I just thought about that garbage man who constantly <laughs> right. dumps over my garbage bin. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been learning a lot about how actors in musicals have to squeeze their rhythms into sort of some set timing too because there's underscoring for to some dialogue right <laughs> and i've never directed that before so oh, wow. like what that has to challenge ha yeah it is fun it's fun to always be learning always yeah. be learning Otherwise, isn't it what? weird though when you're the director of a play you're kind of like overseer of all this is my ballywick and everything here is now mine and then it's like oh and now there's music i will be quiet in the corner <laughs> 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 it was, it was, well, a few times I've turned to Mel like, does there have to be music here? <laughs> and she's like, yes, Jolita, there has to be music here. It's Trust it. It's a musical. It's a musical. Do they have to sing that? Because I would prefer. Just, yeah, I'm just, sorry. Yes, yeah. they do. Well, it's partly because the underscoring to a scene of dialogue, like the music is doing some of the emotional lifting. Right. right? It really does. Right. But, you know, most of my experience directing just straight stage plays and performing in straight stage plays, I'm like, we don't need that. As really good actors, we should be able to carry all that emotional. We can burden. get there on our yeah. own. Yeah, let's it was just get there. Really early. funny because you, I remember the exact scene you're talking about, and then you looked and said, "Oh, but there's probably music there or something." <laughs> and Trisha was like, "It's a musical, Julia. <laughs> there's music." all over the place that, it's fair and then yeah. you have to step away right like it's yeah. the musical directors yeah then they take over and you can mm. you have a little bit you can say about we'll stand closer together <laughs> but if there's a choreographer you don't even get that when yeah. there's music playing yeah. you kind of just sit in the corner twiddle your thumbs and i don't know even know why people expect you to be there when you have no say <laughs> so no. it's <laughs> all the say. i just make things sound pretty that is the whole purpose mm. of that. You need to make it sound pretty. You you're the you're the master of the intention in that the musical mm. number in that scene too. You have to find a way to jive and work together and find out what her vision is so that you can impart it within each individual song. And mm. uh, it's a it it's a lovely partnership when it's a partnership and it's mm. very combative if there's opposing opinions. Oh, that would be awful. Yeah, it would be awful. <laughs> that's not what it is. So that's no. good. Yeah, yeah. I'm very glad for that. It sounds mm -hmm. like you both are delighting in working together and yes, working well it's together. Been lovely. So, so lovely. But that leads me to ask what challenges have you faced putting the production together? What, how, like, I always like to ask this question because it's hard and audiences don't realize that. I want people listening to this episode to realize that you started this entire journey well before May's conversation with Trisha, well before you emailed Julia. There's been a buildup of a whole bunch of foundational pieces mm -hmm. just at Swamp Donkey 
in general. But then on top of it, since that, you've hit the ground running since June. Most of your summer has had a tinge of at least thinking about this, if not actively working on it every day mm-hmm. until you go up at the end of October. That's not even with a cast doing rehearsals. That's just background work. So what challenges are faced? Because audiences come up, they see it, they're like, oh, that was great. Those audi- those actors learned their lines and sang their songs and then they leave. That Those baseboards weren't painted exactly where I wanted them to be painted. Hmm, I wonder why that is. I guess they didn't have time. <laughs> Oh, wait, we were just painting baseboards That's today. Right. Those are going to be look perfect. Good. No. <laughs> but the time was spent on that, yes. right? That's true. Like, true. They won't know that. No. The audience never knows the thousands of yeah. hours of labor that comes from this. So what, uh, what do you want to share with me? Tell me how hard it was. These are the stories you tell your friends, right? You're like, oh, you would not believe. <laughs> I want general audience goers to get a chance to listen to this podcast to know what they're seeing is a miracle on stage every time. Well, one thing I was actually speaking with Julita about just in general conversation before we came is because these characters are so real. I think one of the challenges, I can only hope that it shows on stage that they don't just say, oh, yeah, they did that and said their lines and whatever. I'm hoping that there's a, a much stronger connection there. But I think in having these characters that are so real, it is very difficult because there is a part of you that will relate to a part of your character. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that trust with your cast and that sense of vulnerability that you're willing to go there in order to make it believable. So did you bring in an intimacy coordinator or anybody anybody like that to have that conversation to help actors with those We didn't. There's no... Um, There's no genuine the actors, intimacy, right? No, no. But sometimes you bring them in just because relationships are fraught just because what they're experiencing how to disassociate yourself from that so it doesn't become you doing that there's that was one of my concerns in the summer was thinking from a trauma-informed lens like how do we and then and then i went off on a bit of a tangent well a related thought which is like is acting even ethical like period <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah. like are we traumatizing ourselves and i i did a bit of research and thought about it all and 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 thought you know i think there's some some wisdom in building in rituals even small ones and and melanie was talking about them earlier B- building building in rituals that bookend the rehearsal yep. right so here's how we always start here's how we always end and making sure that at the end of a rehearsal you've come out of character and connected with Yeah, your cast as yourself, not. And so, and we talked about, it was one of the first rehearsals we had, we had a chat about the kind of the trust and the themes and, and those kinds of things. So being pretty intentional about kicking things off a certain way. And then I've had some conversations outside of rehearsal too, with some actors about working about how they're um, managing that Mm -hmm. for themselves. So you know, it's community theater. We didn't bring in an intimacy coach, but we've sort of been doing it for each other and I and making sure that no one's left dangling. But I think that's a really important development theater is making and um, and we need to keep asking those questions, right? Right. It's interesting that you're asking like, is theater and is acting ethical? Which has <laughs> yeah. been asked like for over 2000 yeah. years as Aristophanes, mm. Sophocles and Plato are mm. all asking those questions mm-hmm. as well. Um, uh, they're developing like, well, it generates catharsis for the audience, but what does it do to the actor? Mm-hmm. Right. A hundred percent. And I also think that it would be different if we didn't have relationships outside of rehearsal. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've I've said this to everyone in the cast that 
I'm trying to soak in every moment of it because just like any show, that exact show with that exact cast in that moment is never going to happen again. So I'm just appreciating the fact that in my real life, these are all people that I completely trust. I really do. And that I would choose to have in my life regardless if we were in a show together or not. So I think that I mean, it's kind of special that way because mm-hmm. I have that trust with them that I know. And frankly, Percy's, I mean, she lays it all out there. There's a lot of vulnerability there. And for me to bring it to life, I feel like I kind of have to connect with, I mean, obviously I don't have those shared experiences, but a little piece of something, right? And I, I feel safe doing that. And I think from talking to the cast, they also feel safe in doing that, mm-hmm. in being vulnerable and going there and just trusting that we'll be there to support them mm-hmm. in their character and in their real life. So I don't know. I think that's kind of a special aspect of mm-hmm. this show that maybe made that piece a little bit easier. That's definitely sort of the big heavy challenge of the show. And then some of the other challenges have been like <laughs> like all to do with props, I would say. And the, <laughs> and the, kitch- <laughs> and the kitchen. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's lots of stirring and banging and coffee and water and, you know, burnt breakfast that has to appear at the right time and look burnt and all those kinds of things. Sure, look for this exact phrase. And I I think the first time we ran it, I probably did 20,000 steps on the little path between like the kitchen to each table. (laughs) And I was just like, oh my, what? Like, now it feels more manageable. Had you ever served tables in the past? Well, I worked at a coffee shop. But okay. it wasn't not it the wasn't, same sort of thing. No, yeah. Percy, do this, do this. Oh, you can't cook. Order up. I was like, you know, it was just <laughs> right? kind of crazy. Had you? No. I oh, have, well, wow. I worked so. in a restaurant, but I worked in the kitchen. I was oh, okay. You know. And I'm actually a really good cook. So, <laughs> so that's <laughs> a real that character. Out there. Oh, wow. That's a real character. That's really, really acting. Really uncomfortable. <laughs> how the weak k- the character is in the kitchen. <laughs> well, she, yeah. I mean, she hasn't had much life experience. This character, so <laughs> well, different life experience. Yes. TV right? dinners. It's definitely she is very excellent different. at cooking TV dinners. Queen right. of TV dinners. She calls herself. <laughs> so, <laughs> this was a big piece of trust that in the collaboration because in the summer I spent a lot of time before we were actually working together listening to the soundtrack and think and thinking of the kitchen scenes and really trying so hard to imagine a way we could do it without props (laughs) because I'm just I lean that way I tend to lean towards the minimal yeah yeah I love when they're like no food and we're like no can we do it without the food (laughs) can we do it with just our imaginations right because you're like we have no budget so we're not getting any of those things I don't want to have to go shopping for all the things and making them all and then Trisha makes great fake food oh Thanks. Amazing. That's and it just became evident after like a week or so. Mel- Melanie and I were like, yeah, we got to do the food, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. And then we have it to do. It adds so much yeah. to the reality of the moment. Mm-hmm. Nose Creek players back in June there, they did uh, the Pink Unicorn, which is a, a one woman show. Mm-hmm. And it all takes place in her kitchen and she bakes an apple pie oh, during the run of that great. show. I, I I can't wait to see your kitchen and <laughs> compare and contrast that how and it comes together and, and is placed before us. That's going to be very mm-hmm. interesting and exciting. And there are not a lot of opportunities to see this show. You mm-hmm. only have six performances. Mm-hmm. Potentially eight. We might be adding a matinee might on add Saturdays. The matinee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And tickets have been selling 
gradually. Good. Right? Which is nice. Yep. Please rush out and buy your tickets today. (laughs) It comes out October 27th. Again, six or eight opportunities to see this show. And they deserve every opportunity Mm. to put up it as many times as possible Mm -hmm. so that they get the full experience of having done a full run. That's always the best experience. We have a small, intimate theater. It's very intimate. You're very close to the action. Yeah, very close to the action. You will be a lot of action happens right on Main Street. Yeah, right on Main Street. That's right. You can sit on Main Street. (laughs) And then it's gone. Um, That is the ephemeral nature of live theater. (laughs) These two lovely ladies will be immediately on to their next project. And no doubt (laughs) as it sounds like that's going to be an ongoing thing, especially for Swamp Donkey being so tightly run by such few people, a Mm. few dedicated, talented few. But I urge anyone listening to this to make the effort and go see the Spitfire Grill. Being in Calgary or being from Okotoks or Strathmore or any of the surrounding small towns Mm -hmm. surrounding the environments of Calgary, you will get a real feel for this production. You will feel at home. It's... It feels like small town Americana, small town Canadiana. And I I cannot wait to go see it on opening night. Mm. And... uh, stand in amongst the crowd uh, mm-hmm. applaud at the very end after a nice telltale silence <laughs> well, to make the audience yeah. wonder please is it over <laughs> do they know it did we do well enough <laughs> how come this musical isn't put on more often <laughs> well i mean it is right it's just yeah. how how come this musical isn't put on in bigger broader uh, yes. more spectacular mm. ways why is it never reached the west end why has it never touched broadway these are questions I think are being answered by things like once and come from away, Uh which service similar motifs and themes and have a similar style of music that might be something that they approach faster, further, quicker. But nonetheless, Mm -hmm. you've chosen the Spitfire Grill. I'm excited to see it. I hope listening to this podcast has made you excited to see it. Tickets are in the link in the show notes. Uh, they are a very reasonable price for two to go out to Bragg Creek and mm. see uh, what is going to be an amazing production. We also have restaurant partners. That's wonderful. In Bragg Creek. So, so if you go come for out, dinner. make a night for it. Make yeah. a night of it. Or an where, afternoon. where do you find out about the restaurant partners? Uh, on our website. We have a list, I think. I mean, it's almost every restaurant in Bragg Creek. Oh, good. If you show your ticket, you can get 10 or 15% off. And there's some wonderful Brilliant. restaurants there. Pays um, for the tip. That's which right. Which Percy really needs. <laughs> and right. never gets. Right? <laughs> and so I just would like to end with a proper ending. And that is a quote by Julita, who says, Poetry, in both its creation and the reading of it, insists on careful listening. Careful listening opens a space for soul, revelation, for wholeness. Poems are glimpses of wholeness. And I think that that does not speak just for poetry, but speaks for words set to music, which is poetry on its own, and the confines of the theater itself. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us.